0: Hype Beast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Hey, what's up? This is the second episode in a two-part series with the one and only Mr. John J. If you have not listened to the first episode, I now hereforth demand that you do so. It has way too many gems for you to miss out on, and quite honestly, half this episode won't make any sense without listening to the first one. So in the last episode, we heard about his role at Bloomingdale's. We heard about widening and Kennedy, we heard about Nike, and eventually his move across the planet to Tokyo to open the widening and Kennedy Japan office. John Jay's career has so many chapters, it would be impossible to cram it into one episode. So this week, we get closer to the present as we break down his extensive time spent in Japan and the eventual move to fast retailing and Uniqlo, where he is now the president of Global Creative. Okay, part two, Business of Hype, John Jay. Let's go. Okay, so... Let's talk about the next chapter now. Mm -hmm. Now you're at fast
1: retailing. Mm -hmm. How did that pivot happen? (laughs) Well, I arrived in Tokyo and I have the Nike account Mm -hmm. now, and I do a study of the big agencies in town. And of course, it's dominated by the two big Japanese agencies, Dentsu and Hakuhodo. Yeah, and there's a a smattering of Western agencies. Some have been there for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But Dentsu and Hakuhodo, like really, it's a monopoly with those two. Yes. Yes. And so I'm looking at how are these Western agencies surviving? What are they doing? Mm -hmm. And what makes them unique here? Yeah. And some have been here for a long time Mm -hmm. for for big brands like Coca-Cola and so forth. Been here for decades. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that most of them didn't have Japanese clients Mm -hmm. of any real strength at that time. And I said... Well, that's no good, mm-hmm. that means I'm just some gaijin coming in, doing business in someone else's country, yeah. and just taking money out. Right, that's, you're a gaijin doing gaijin work yeah, in a foreign and that, that's Yeah, that's no good. Mm-hmm. And most of these agencies, were, their bread and butter was doing global work. Yeah. So they become, quote-unquote, the post office for the real agency that's back home. Yeah. And that's no good either. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So... As I was pitching this idea to other people in the agency, I said, "This is the opportunity to change your career and to do work that you can't even imagine right now. You and I sitting here at this moment can't even imagine the work that you, that is possible there. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you're interested in?" And I looked at myself and said, "Yes, it is." <laughs> <laughs> so you so, wrote the brief and answered it yourself. That's basically. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and leaving the weekend before I left mm-hmm. dan, dan has said a couple of things that are very relevant to my life, and this was one of them. He said, "John, go there and make this the hot house." And I said, "What do you mean? the hot house the office that will do work that none of our other offices could ever do mm-hmm. Now, mind you, Amsterdam was powerful that time, doing all the football work yeah. you know incredible. Work. Obviously, Portland was powerful, and New York was just make this the single office that where you can do work that no one else can match that's so cool. different kind of work, yeah, different it doesn't have to you know so and
0: actually, if you've ever had the the honor of entering the widen office in Tokyo, it felt different, like it wasn't a closed off conference building. it was like you could see it all the way from outside, see straight through and it was like a, it was
1: like Peewee's Playhouse, right? It was like a toy store in there. So let me tell you a little <laughs> bit about that. So the first building, uh, we were very no money, we were low budget, and so we we're in the basement of this building. And um, my first guest speaker, I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to set, I'm going to invite people that to help inspire my people and to show to the world the, the community uh, uh, that this is a different kind of place. Mm-hmm. So Tom Sachs was my first speaker. Wow, <laughs> who I had introduced to Nike. What year was this? Uh, what year was it? 97, 98? Wow, most people hadn't even like don't even know who he is. No, anymore. no, he had just fresh off of the incident where he made you know at that time he was making guns mm-hmm. out of out of wood and things yes. on pipes and so forth. He had a major show at Mary Boone Gallery mm-hmm. in Soho. And instead of M and M's and candy bars, he had bullets in mm-hmm. the bowls. Wow. and balls. Wow. When the cops came, uh-huh, handcuffed Mary Boone, one of the leading uh, leading gallerists in in the world yeah. at that time, handcuffed her, put her in the paddy wagon, take the art of Tom's off the walls and confiscate everything. That made his career. Yep. Yeah. So Tom now is coming to for his first trip to Tokyo. Okay. And he's my first guest speaker. And um, I said, "Tom, do you, do you can I be so bold? Could you make something for me for the opening of our agency? You know, and you're my first guest speaker. And at that time, I had announced it through Tokyo Magazine and Mm -hmm. did a whole big spread and, you know, stuff. He goes, yeah, I got this idea. Give me your coolest kids and we're going to go out in Tokyo and steal a bunch of shit and make some art. I said, Tom, let me give you a little (laughs) advice. You don't come here and steal a bunch of shit Mm because we will never see you ever again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. So he makes this, he goes to Canal Street, and he m- picks the cheapest things that he could find to make a DJ rolling booth. Turntables from God knows where. Mm-hmm. Uh, speakers from God knows where. He Mixer, and he puts it all together with wheels on a cart with a refrigerator in the middle, and he cuts a hole out of the, front of the door and makes it so you can see through it. Uh-huh. It's lit from inside. So two turntables, a mixer, speakers, all on wheels that you can roll around. Mm-hmm. So it comes in a big crate. We're all excited. And I call him, that's beautiful. And so he relabels everything. He puts Panasonic, you know, T2000, on, yeah. you know, but they were from Korea or uh-huh. something, you know, right. or the, and the speakers were something and he would hand letters bows on, mm-hmm. on them, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so cool. It's all from Canal Street, all the cheapest <laughs> stuff that he could get. And then he puts uh, Sub-Zero on the refrigerator. And it's like some (laughs) stupid thing, you know. Right. And he said, uh, did you see the secret compartment? What what, was secret compartment? He says, do you see the key? I said, oh, yeah, let me go. I get over there, turn the key, flip open this door. It's a gun inside (laughs) with six bullets. Gun made out of, again, pipe and wood and metal that he finds, you know. Oh, my God. Imagine a gun with uh-huh. bullets coming in through customs in Japan, you know? Oh you can't even bring in Fritos, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a gun, you, you can't know? even bring in porn. <laughs> you no. Know? So there's a gun in there, Great. you know. It's, it's extraordinary. So you were you were saying about um wanting to get a Japanese client. Yeah. So fast forward. So I asked around and someone introduced me to this place called Uniqlo, which doesn't have any stores in Tokyo. They're out in the burbs. Oh, okay. Back then back then mm-hmm. so I started traveling to Yamaguchi Prefecture to introduce myself and who is Wyden Kennedy and who am I doing and I met Mr. Yunae, mm-hmm. the char- the uh, founder. and I the the founder yeah and again there's no stores in Tokyo yet mm-hmm. at that time so fast forward I, I get the account I get a major project it was the famous fleece uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. That we created and it broke all records. And then and and you know they opened a store and uh, they opened a store in, in Harajuku. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a call. I was working on Sunday and people said, uh, "Have you been to Harajuku today?" I said, "No." I said, why. So you better come down here. Mm. And there was just gigantic line going into Uniqlo. And, what was and it right. about Uniqlo that even
0: though they were like a sort of outside, almost like a country bumpkin brand, right?
1: What was it about them that you were like, we can do something with that? Mr. and I. This is what the beauty of my career. I've always been lucky to find that star, mm-hmm. that to find Mr. Traub or Dan, Dan Wyden or mm-hmm. Mark Parker or Phil Knight. Or yeah. Those people somehow appear before me <laughs> and you just see the potential, you know, if they if sometimes they see the potential in you and mm-hmm. vice versa. Right, And in, in this case... Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's there's so many stories about you know and and, and uh, how, I mean, I used to have conversations like mannequins are important in a store, mm-hmm. really? Why? Why? I mean, these kind of conversations. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, it was just his willingness to roll the dice, mm-hmm. obviously with me, yeah, you know, and obviously with Widen and Kennedy, mm-hmm. and his openness and his directness. Um, I love the democracy of uh, that he espoused, and the product you have to understand casual apparel at that time was still only for young people. Mm-hmm. You don't see your grandfather wearing khakis and no, jeans and so not, forth, yeah. right They so, were
0: still wearing suits and
1: hush puppies, and yeah, so casual apparel is still for young people, yeah. so the casualization that was about to come to all over the world, especially in Japan was caused, was you know, and in, mm-hmm. in, I, I was a part of that through yeah. Mr. And I Right. So that he saw, that was his vision. Yeah. Uh, the casualization of the world. And I remember the early campaigns that integrated, like,
0: I think Futura was in one, and Hiroshi was in the campaign as well, right? Uh,
1: not either one of them, although it they're good friends. But they were, the first campaign was a series of TV spots uh-huh. featuring real people, mm-hmm. each 30 seconds, wearing fleece, yeah, and once again, there was no copy about fleece, they didn't talk about fleece, but they talked about their life. And it was this brand who was new to Tokyo showing the respect for people's lives, Mm -hmm. real lives, and they talked about their lives. And then at the end, it said Uniqlo, and then the fleece price, and so forth. And it created this huge sensation. Mm -hmm. Not to be always returning to the same tricks, locked off camera, Mm -hmm. no cuts, straight to the camera, mm-hmm. very, very simple. So simple that it jumps off the screen because everyone else is trying to be... As loud as possible. And snappy and, and cool and so forth. Right, right. But the democracy came over a series of commercials where I showed, and again, this is, this is counter to some of the, the, the history in Japan and, and, and the biases in Japan, so I would put a professor for one commercial, a teenage girl construction worker, Mm -hmm. a up-and-coming singer, an 84-year-old actor, saying, you are all equal to me. Mm -hmm. You are all equal in, in our world. You all have value in your life, so therefore, please tell us about your life for 30 seconds on the air, or 28 seconds. And that was, the, uh, that was the demonstration of democracy as an idea, and they just happened to be wearing fleece, which was a part of the, the wardrobe. Right, right. So the bigger picture, the bigger idea was, we believe in the democratic ideas and that everyone has a, has a place on this earth and everyone has value. Mm-hmm.
0: When you look back at John's work, it's interesting to see all the through lines. Every great idea needs to be founded by an interesting insight. And John's genius approach makes it so that it's never superficial. And it's never a business objective that needs to be fulfilled. It doesn't matter if the goal is to sell shoes or sweaters. What's going to resonate with people is something deeper. And John's passion is to continue to find that. The work may be totally different over the years. From the Nike NYC campaigns he talked about in the last episode, or Uniqlo's first campaign, the important through line for him is the human experience. What's great about the Nike NYC campaign was that it spoke directly to the Hoopers of New York, their perspective of the city, their slang, their ambassadors. John's fleece campaign for Uniqlo shined a democratic human element for the brand that is still very much in the company DNA today. So it doesn't matter what job, hobby, or passion you identify with. It doesn't matter if you're 10 or 100 years old. This is beyond trends. This is about the products in your life. And because he's able to get to that root, he's able to find the thing that connects us all. So this brand that sort of started outside of Tokyo became a metropolitan player, and soon it would become like a global player. Right. You spoke about conflict before. Did Nike ever at one point say like, hey, what, this is like crouching into our territory now? That's a sore subject. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess yeah. that means yes. <laughs> but I would assume, you know, Nike thinks everyone is a competitor of theirs.
1: To be very fair. Yeah. To be very fair. And I wasn't as level-headed back then. Mm-hmm. First of all, I was asked to resign the account. They Uniqlo. They flew... Nike asked you to resign the account. Okay. Yeah. And this is, I've I've talked about this before. So, And at the time, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And of course, they thought it was going to be a coming conflict. They were very much trying to be a big player in apparel at the yes, time. which they weren't yet. They were no. figuring it out. Right. Yeah. And casual apparel, the casualization of the world is happening there as well. Yep. From sport to casual wear mm-hmm. and so forth. And we were, Knocking it out of the park in casual wear here yeah, in yeah. Japan. I mean, just beyond the fences is mm-hmm. out out in the parking lot and in the streets, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, and soon to come, there's no doubt that technology, because Japan is such a a a forerunner mm-hmm. in in textile technology, mm-hmm. soon technology starts playing into yeah. what we innovation do innovation innovation yeah. and everything. Yeah. So there is a coming of some conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and uh, so... Um, but you honestly didn't see that when you were talking to Mr. Yanai for the first no, time,
1: yeah. No, uh, these, uh, these guys had a little store in right. Harajuku, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, I didn't see it, mm-hmm. I didn't see it, yeah. and, and I was really um, upset about it, but now, but here's the thing, I have to respect... Who put us on the map? Who put this for agency sure. on the map? Who's the family here? Yeah. You know, who you have to respect that. You yeah. Know? You so yeah. no matter what, the, we have to respect for what they have contributed and what they did for us. And I have to say, they were very prescient. They were right in a
0: sense. Yes, yes, yes they were. Th- this was in a time where, if you had Louis Vuitton as a client, that like could have been a conflict. But back then, no, it's luxury. No, exactly. Sport. Casual, it's all separate. That's but right. Like you said, it was closing in on yeah, each other. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And now you have like what recently happened with Roger Federer. That's like a black and white example of him leaving Nike and going to Uniqlo. Is yeah. like,
1: and I think, I'm surprised you didn't get a call. See, he told you. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I, um, my love for that brand, mm-hmm. and my respect for those people. Yeah. What they've done for me. Personally mm-hmm. is beyond the charts. Yeah. Beyond the charts. Mm-hmm. So my respect is deep. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep. You yourself is you're not a sneaker head, quote unquote, right? No. I have a lot of sneakers, but I'm not a sneaker head. Yeah.
0: When you were working on the Nike account, not to go backwards in time, but when you were working on it, did you understand why some people saw Nike as almost like a religion? Yes, of, of course. course. But when you were working on it, were you thinking like we're just trying to sell shoes? Or were you deliberately like sort of making like how should i say that like were you playing up things so that like you respected the people that thought nike was a religion or were you in the like was your day-to-day like let's just sell as many shoes as possible or was it no 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 it was all about the culture even though you were in sneakerhead but you just saw other people sort of seeing it as like,
1: well, it it just escalated beyond belief, you know, and beyond a brand. It wasn't just about let's sell shoes, right? You know, I I, I love sneakers, mm-hmm. but I'm not obsessed. It's not my life. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it right. became the life of mm-hmm. so many, especially Asian kids. Yeah, you know. So I, you know, there was a time when I absolutely needed to have the the latest one, mm-hmm. but now they're coming out every hour, you know, so no, I can't, no, can't, I can't keep, keep I can't keep up. Yeah. And, um. And I guess when you talk to someone like Bobito
0: in your first month, you get, you get a crash course on like how this is not just
1: a commodity item. No, no, no. It's so deep into the mm-hmm. culture. So this is one of my fun things is that I, I go to this dead stock coffee shop and every, Everyone's talking sneakers. Yeah. Everyone, it's it's this, it's that, is this. And back in the day, in two thousand eight, <laughs> right, back in the day, way back then in <laughs> two two thousand six, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> we knew this and and um. I love just sitting there and just waiting for my cappuccino, and I mm-hmm. walk out the door and I just look back and uh, you guys don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about. <laughs> right you only know the tippy top of oh if you only knew yeah you only knew so one day as a as a i was photographing it for myself actually i brought in the original nyc shoes Mm -hmm. the original ones that had nyc what color were they uh white with black trim okay you know black and white yeah yeah original boxes Mm -hmm. you know and and then the uh, the owner of Deadstock looked at the label, and he knew immediately what, you know, what era this yeah. was, and, you know, and so forth. And right. Sample, uh-huh. and all of that, you know. Um, and he, he freaked out, you know, and uh, and then I bring in, you know, things like that. the Oh, my Hiroshi Fujiwara yeah. shoes, you yeah, know. Yeah. Right. And I bring those in and show them, you know, uh, <laughs> and they're just like, look at them like they're like the almost to the point of the the original waffles or something, yeah. you know. Or like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, so so I bring I brought them in a couple times to show them. And uh no and, and I you know it's hard to keep up, you know, and I'm not in it in it full time anymore. Yeah, but yeah. but clearly, you know, I brought Tom Sachs. I brought Tom Sachs into Nike. You know, mm-hmm. I brought Mark and the group Sandy to go see Tom's uh exhibition back yeah. then, you know. And so um no, you know, so uh, you know, when you you look back at the opportunities I had to be a bridge, you know, whether it's yeah. Tom or Hiroshi or any number of people, you right. know. Um and so when I stand there in the in the in the in 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 these shops and then I hear them talking about stuff I'm like, oh my god, you know, so but I don't even say anything. It's really become like probably way bigger than you would have ever expected. Oh before. of course. It's yeah. like yeah. It's beyond
0: culture even. How about it's, you? I should I ask you that question. I, I keep thinking 10 years ago, I was like,
1: this bubble's going to burst and no one's going to care about well, sneakers it. Well, slowed down state. for a while, right? Yeah. It slowed down, you know? Yeah. And but then it just keeps exploding. Because of social media, of course, you yeah. know? And um, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: But I, I love talking to you about it because if Nike is the religion, right, you were responsible for writing the scriptures. Like, well, I don't know about that, but yeah, uh, I mean, like, I was in there. It's but... the message, right? The messaging came from.
1: So after, <laughs> so. Um, Phil is enamored with the NYC campaign. Mm-hmm. He goes, I want you to show it to the board of directors. Uh-huh. I said, okay, sure. So we go to the board of directors. The Bob Wood is this tall, sandy-haired, fair, f- you know, Southern California guy. Mm-hmm. I'm this Chinese guy from a department store that sold fashion. Mm-hmm. And we're presenting inner-city, playground, New York City basketball to the board. Yeah, Fine, except... The board member on the right is Coach Thompson from Georgetown. Mm. Wow. So he starts drilling us at the board meeting. Uh-huh. Do you even know what this means? Do you even know what this means? Yeah. Do you know about this? Yeah. And we passed the test, fortunately. Nice. And everything. <laughs> but to have Coach Thompson there, you mm, know. The validator. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, so Phil, we're going to present you this newest uh, uh, New York City about basketball. And uh, i like you to meet, uh, and up comes this. Chinese kid from a fashion store, <laughs> right? <laughs> Bob Wood, you know. Looking you up and down like, <laughs> like so who are you? <laughs> so oh why is God. he here again? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I have to ask you, The uh, you know LA did a similar thing? Like they did an LA series. Yeah. Did you have
1: anything to do with that? I did that. Okay. Yeah. So it was applying the same yeah. formula for yeah. LA. It wasn't as successful because we didn't really go as deep as like we should have. But I have some great... How deep can you go in L.A.? No, well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have a great, great, great story where this one, we did some beautiful ads, beautiful pictures. And um, the picture was posted and the billboard is on the median between the highways, two highways. His family is so proud of the the guy in yeah. the picture they have a family barbecue in the median where there's a patch of grass in between two highways, just to look at look, it. Just to look at it, they're barbecuing the chicken and the ribs and everything. And their whole family sitting in the little folding chairs and everything. Yeah. So, <laughs>
0: okay, so um, taking it back forward in time now, I remember the story you said where um, you first met Dan mm-hmm. and you sort of had the conversation. There was an invitation, but it took years for you to accept the invitation, right? How did it work with Mr. Yonai? Was there also an invitation that
1: took a long time? He just spoke about this. He always jokes about this. He spoke okay. about this at a board meeting. He said, it took me 15 years for John, for me to convince John <laughs> to come out here. Oh, yeah? He says this all the time. How so? Why? Because from the day you met, he wanted you? Oh, I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> the um, that fleece campaign was pretty famous here. Yeah. It was pretty famous Mm -hmm. and it changed everything, Mm -hmm. changed his business, changed everything. And so, you know, we had a great working relationship until I had to resign the business, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we always stayed in touch. I always try to help him casually as a friend. As a friend, yeah. You know, I'd never do any work or anything, but I would steer him, don't go there. Mm -hmm. They they put a nice PR game on, but they're not really that good. Mm -hmm. Go here, go small, go to these people. You know, Mm -hmm. I would trust these people and I would... Give them some advice, yeah. you know. A, avoid, you know, there's there's a lot of great people out there who can do or, or people who can do great show and tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the goods aren't there. Yeah. And when you're in this business long enough, you you can smell those, you know who that is, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, because everyone was pitching pitching mm-hmm. them at that time. Um no, so Dan and Dan and I stepped off of the global management team mm-hmm. and I decided, he says, what do you want to do? And I said, let me do something else in the agency. Rather than be part of something else that's existing, let me start a new entity. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started The Garage. The garage right? yeah. Which was like an internal rogue With agency my, within. Which I, I always was anyway. Yeah, That's what yeah. I was in there, you right, know? Right. And um, so now it had a name and a separate space. But you, you didn't know? have to work on the everyday business. No, stuff. I brought my own business yeah. in. I brought okay. my own business in. So that's what I did for the last two years, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so forth. And um, Well, quite honestly, knowing that you were going to leave or not
0: knowing yet? Not knowing. Okay. So, not knowing. But it was nice that you stepped away playing, from Playing,
1: the... trying to see what else mm-hmm. I could do, you right, know. Right, you right, know. And, um And Mr. and I called mm-hmm. and said, can I come see you? And I said, of course. You uh-huh. Come to my office. You'd love to see mine. My... Because at that time, it was decked out with vintage car parts and mm-hmm. gas pumps and all this kind of stuff, you know, and uh, he's like, oh, come on over. And he says, yeah. no, no, I can't, I can't come there. <laughs> okay. So he flew. Wait, I, can't, I can't come to the Widen office. Right. Right. So, Interesting. Okay. But he came to Portland. He came, he flew the jet to Portland okay. and everything. So we had two meetings in a day, once at my studio, Jay, in Chinatown, and then I have a... A, float, a guest house that's a floating home, mm. uh, like a Japanese house that floats on the river. Okay. And we met there mm-hmm. in the afternoon. And he made this offer to come out. And I. He invited his hand, he opened his hand and yeah, sent uh, an invitation. Yeah. And. Uh,
0: <laughs> You're like, here we go again. <laughs> so I
1: needed some time to think about it. Yeah. You know, this is a big deal now, big deal. Um, years earlier, Mark, invi- I did. Uh, well-known campaign for for Nike called Presto, the Presto shoe. Yeah. That was legendary. 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 That he pushed through, and he pushed through all the colorways in mm-hmm. Japan and it launched in Japan. And I did the Presto campaign in Japan. And he comes to Japan for his first trip on the jet with, at that time, Tom Clark, the president. And I'm new in Tokyo, new at the agency, just open it. And I take time to once again... Seize the opportunity to, I'm going to have his attention, hopefully for a half an hour. Mm -hmm. So like Bloomingdale's, I did a presentation simply for his arrival. Okay. Just that two books that I did for that. And I showed it to him and I said, if I were given the freedom and the budget, this is what I would build for you Mm -hmm. as a studio, retail, laboratory, workspace, and so forth. Showed it to him. Um, he loved it. Mm-hmm. He says, let's do it. Really? <laughs> you know, I have no experience in this. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, uh, I want you to show this to Phil. Mm-hmm. I said, really? I said, okay. So go. So I fly back to Portland. This is months later. And he's, I meet him at campus and we're waiting outside and Tom and uh, Clark, the president, and Phil are inside. And Mark said, uh, by the way, I, I just want to warn you a little bit about something, give you a heads up. I go, well, what's up? He says, uh, when you walk in, Phil's going to offer you a creative director's position at Nike. I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Wow.
1: You know I have no experience in this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The so door opens. Uh-huh. You think you're going to present this idea to him. Yeah. So... Mark says, I told him about the job. And Phil says, told him about it? I thought you signed him up already. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think he's joking. But okay. Hard to tell, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I show him the two books that I did. Mm-hmm. And one day when you come to the studio, I'll show them to you. Okay. They'll se- they seem so antique and, you know, like <laughs> quaint. Quaint and yeah, yeah. now, today, you know. Um. So that How did you
0: turn that down? So this is that Ralph moment again,
1: yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I have to tell Dan mm-hmm. i have the, the dude that brought me out yeah. that put that gave me the faith and the you know and so forth, and Dan was visibly shaken. I knew it <laughs> so I said, I need some time to think about this, yeah, give me the weekend, yeah one day later, he writes to me, you have no time to think about this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I need an answer now. This I
1: need to know now. <laughs> and then, this is why you should not do it. And, <laughs> and that affected me, my loyalty there. Yeah. So I said no. In a long, long, long letter that I wrote to Mark. And Jesus. I said no. And there's all the reasons. And it was probably way too long-winded and Probably embarrassing if I saw that letter today. But, uh, but you
0: felt it needed to be said all those reasons. And was, the, was it mostly due to loyalty? Absolutely. And I feel like that's the heartstring that they would understand. Forget all the, the realities. Right. It's loyalty. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's absolutely loyalty. Crazy. You don't, you know, it's like this. You're an immigrant family. Mm-hmm. Someone goes out of their way to treat your family well, mm-hmm. to give you a break to do something for you, you will never forget that mm-hmm. for the for rest life. of your life. Yeah. You will tell your kids <laughs> to always respect this mm-hmm. family and this person. Yeah, it could have just been,
0: they gave me one meal yeah. back then, like, yeah. And it was oftentimes, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. yeah, Never ever forget that. If you have nothing else, stick to your principles. John's authenticity is what kept him an honest friend and colleague for so many people. It's what's helped him find, as he mentioned, the stars in his career. There's a reason why people like Mr. Yanai, Mr. Traub, Dan Wyden, Mark Parker, and Phil Knight trusted him over the course of these years. It for sure wasn't luck. He's a true and honest person that is confident in his abilities as well as his instincts. John has made some of the biggest decisions and turned down some of the biggest roles based off these principles. This speaks volumes. You can never fault someone for sticking to their loyalty. And I'm not talking about loyalty to money or even the position or title. This is recognizing and respecting the faith people had in him. We live in a very cutthroat business society where the dollar is the ultimate goal. And that's perfectly fine. But it's how you navigate that that will speak more about you than your actual words or output. It's how you treat others, especially those that extended a hand. That will ultimately determine how long you last in this industry. So Yanai gives you this invitation. You have the garage going. So how long
1: did this decision take? So it took a while. Only two people knew in the agency, Mm -hmm. Dan and the president. Okay, But it's going to be months before I actually do it. Mm -hmm. So I have some time. So I'm in Tokyo. Yonai calls a press conference to announce to the world about new ideas of the business and da-da-da. And it's based on about creativity and innovation. And the business press is going, what is this press conference about? Mm -hmm. So he goes on. He talks for about 15 minutes on stage. And then he says, and as evidence of our commitment to creativity, I have an announcement to make. Mr. John Jay, da and Kennedy, is joining us as president of Global Creative. I'm standing backstage. Mm-hmm. I had written a long letter to Wyden and Kennedy, everyone, explaining my move mm-hmm. that I was leaving. When he said, when you and I said on stage, let me introduce you to Mr. John Jay, at that moment, I pressed send. Backstage. Backstage.
0: Why did you wait that long? (laughs) Why did you wait at that moment? Because that's when it was real?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, my! I mean, yeah, you spent two decades there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) And it went to, not executives only, I just sent it to every office. Every office. Yeah. Just because of my respect for everyone and all of those people contributed to whatever success I had. Right. You know, and I felt I had a hand in what they've been doing, you know, as a global person, you know, and mm-hmm. so forth. So when they made the announcement, as I mm-hmm. took a deep breath and walked through the curtains, I pressed send. Right. Wow. You're like, Okay, it's
0: real now. Send.
1: Can't take it back now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So what was the deciding factor on why? I remember when I heard it, I was even thinking like,
1: man, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you done yet? Like, no. haven't you done enough? No, man. That's that bridge I'm talking about. Yeah. I saw, I, I saw was on this bridge and you'll see, I may say something about this in a post or something about this bridge uh-huh. that it's, it doesn't end. Yeah, it keeps going. This bridge just keeps going. Uh-huh. There's something on the other side, but that <laughs> other side just keeps coming up. Yeah, yeah. it's like the horizon that yeah, never disappears. It just yeah. keeps coming. Right, right. That's what's exciting. Yeah, I don't know shit yet.
0: <laughs> you don't know shit yet. <laughs>
1: I'm just trying to get there. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Right. But man, I'm just trying to bring as many people along with me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I came from zero. Yeah. Let's fast track, reverse this Mm -hmm. thing back. Yep, I'm on North High Street in Columbus, Ohio, standing in a laundry where at nine years old, I'm pressing pants and sorting through dirty socks. Yeah. I know. I know. I didn't know shit then. (laughs) Look at us now. (laughs) It's crazy. I'm
0: still sorting through dirty socks, but... (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever um, pinch yourself?
1: In metaphoric in, ways, yeah. In metaphoric ways, yeah. Yeah, ways, yeah. yeah, yeah of course.
0: Yeah, because it's like from where you came from to now what you're saying. This even happened in the Bloomingdale days, Yeah. not to mention the Nike days and yeah. now the Uniqlo days. Right, right. And there's yeah. going to be another one. Is there?
1: You know, of course there is. <laughs> of course there is. Will you stop already? <laughs> no, it's like, you know, it's uh, there's going to be another one, you know? And yeah. a lot of that's going to be around art. I know that. I feel
0: like you're like addicted to discovering creativity and art yeah like unearthing it right yeah and the people that come with it yeah yeah and the people because that That, that's what makes it worthwhile that is probably the common through line throughout all of this stuff absolutely yeah absolutely do you feel like um you know we talked about sort of like the underdog card and earlier we talked about being the creative and the designer and their position in this world do you feel like from those early days till now do you feel like like us as creatives have gotten the respect we deserve finally
1: this issue with Asian immigrant families mm. about wishing their, parents, their kids to be in the professions, yes. if, of course, still exists today. Yeah, It's as strong today as ever before. <laughs> I have a scholarship fund that I fund for Asian students at Ohio State University okay. to help encourage them to study the arts or something mm-hmm. in the arts, and doesn't mean graphic design, and uh, I, I continue to to help that and every year they select a student of Asian descent at Ohio State. And so that's out of respect to my mother and father, you know, and the yeah. support they gave me. But this issue hasn't gone away. It's like you talk to parents, and it's still, it's I want still them to be a doctor there. and a lawyer. It's yeah. still there. Yeah. You know, if you say graphic designer, someone will say to them, he doesn't have to go to college for that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So... No, uh, I I think uh, (laughs) those, you know, someone who helped me to introduce me to something, that moment was magic. I may not not understood that at that moment, but I look back and I see those critical moments. Mm -hmm. So can I create those critical moments for other people? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to do.
0: Once you've reached a level of success and notoriety, consider who helped you throughout your journey, and then consider how it can help the next person. A common question you always hear is, what would you tell your teenage self if you knew what you knew today? Instead of working through these hypotheticals, how about you get out there and do it in the real world? It's important to provide opportunities for those who may not have a chance or may not realize what their opportunity is. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I even do this podcast. I'm sure almost all of us remember that time that our passion was introduced or passed down to us. What if that could have happened sooner or by someone who cared more? Many of us are underdogs, so it's only right that we help each other out. Help your peers, help the next generation, even help those above you. There's no point if you're the only one advancing. John is the bridge between artists, musicians, creatives, and much more. Sharing knowledge and connecting the dots will help elevate not only yourself, but maybe an entire culture. How about being a, a minority and a person of color coming up through advertising, sports? Sure. Has it, have you always felt like
1: literally the minority in the room? Once again, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you're standing in front of the Nike board and you're going, I'm going to show you what's cool in New York City on the streets of New York and Mm -hmm. all the playgrounds and basketball. And then George Thompson says, and who are you? (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are you the minority now because you're not Japanese at Uniqlo? Yeah, Yeah. kind of. Okay. I'm the guy. The outsider, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Right. Not George Thompson, Coach Thompson. Coach Thompson, Georgetown, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Georgetown, (laughs) mixing the metaphors. Yeah, but... uh yeah so you're always the uh always the outlier yeah, yeah i'm always and I always will see myself that way mm-hmm. and what's the advantage of being that well, you know what sometimes in may it's a little bit of tom Brady-ness that you the built-in underdog. built yeah. in under built in yeah like i <laughs>
0: you have to do the come from behind right yeah i I was never drafted, <laughs> yeah, I was never drafted yeah i mean I, I love telling the story I've told it before, but when I first met you and I was a fan of this guy named John Jay, who did these amazing Nike ads, I was definitely just in my head painting this picture of like a blonde haired white guy, six foot two athlete Nike guy. And then on an early trip where I went to Portland and I went to go visit the Wyden office, there I am sitting at this, you know, you guys were having some sort of like B-boy exhibition of breakdancing in this public space that you have. And I'm sitting in the bleachers watching and I'm sitting next to this Chinese guy I'm like, hey, what, what do you do? And you asked me first, what do I do? And I said, I'm Jeff, Jeff Staple. And I said, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm John, John Jay. And I'm like, but you're Chinese. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, and that was a classic moment. Well, I have similar, uh, I, when I arrived in New York, and I didn't know, well, there was a photographer who I grew to admire named Jimmy Moore. Mm-hmm. And if you look up Jimmy Moore's history, there's a beautiful book that came out finally after all these years. It had been forgotten. When European photographers were coming to New York in the 70s, they looked up to Irving Penn and Jimmy Moore. Okay. M-O-O-R-E? He, yeah. Okay. He was a part of that after-school class where Hero, Avedon, All of these people were part of that at Harper's Bazaar. Okay, Alexei Brodovich, the most famous. I have often said, if I had a time machine, I could go anywhere. I would go to Alexei Brodovich's workshops after work, where Penn and Avedon, all Mm -hmm. those guys. And Jimmy Moore was a part of it. He was there. So I met Jimmy Moore after after many years. And I go to his studio. He's Chinese. And I go, you can't be (laughs) Jimmy Moore. And he goes, well, who the hell are you? You can't be John Jay. How did he get, he's adopted? No, I don't know how he, got, actually, I don't know how he got the name. <laughs> but full Chinese. Yeah. That's a little bit. Jimmy Moore and his, and his sister, during World War II, the, there's a very popular club in San Francisco that would be equivalent to the Stork Club and the Harlem clubs, but in Chinatown in San Francisco, uh-huh. called the Forbidden City. Okay. And at those places, there was a Chinese Fred Astaire A Chinese Ginger Rogers Mm -hmm. and so forth. And his sister was one of those characters back then. So, anyway, Jeff, I would go and look up the Jimmy Moore book. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful book. All right. Um, You talk about titles. I'll mention I was so green, I was so unaware of the world. When I started at Ohio State and went into visual communications, I saw magazines that said Domus magazine, mm-hmm. Italian magazines. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen such magazines before. Mm-hmm. That opened the world. That, yeah. that library opened up the world to me. Later, then as a kid, I see this movie blow up. Mm-hmm. And I see a guy laying on the ground with this beautiful blonde sitting on top of him, uh, as he is shooting her. Mm-hmm. And I learn that is a fashion photographer. <laughs> she is a model. Uh-huh. And then I go, Wow, that's a job. <laughs> How do I interview for that job? Right. You know? <laughs> then I learned that I look at there's a thing called British Vogue. A mm-hmm. British Vogue. What is that? So I look remember I came from journalism. So I was going into journalism early then. And I looked up the masthead. It said art. Director, Barney Wan. Wan, Chinese? Mm. Art di- I don't know what an art director <laughs> was. Well, right. The Chinese dude is in art and he's a director. Uh-huh. Right. That's all you that's knew. all yeah, I knew. Yeah, yeah. Of British Vogue. <laughs> yeah, in British Vogue with pictures of beautiful girls in it, you know? Yeah.
0: Holy smokes. There, what is this world? Yeah. The power of seeing like your
1: own image is huge. It's immeasurable. So years later, years later, through the power of Bloomingdales, all of these heroes, I make up campaigns so I can work with them. <laughs> right David you Bailey. Yeah. And you know, I make up campaign. I'll go work with David Bailey. I'm filming, uh, I'm shooting the, the the stars of uh Chariots of Fire, put I put them in a campaign, and Lord Snowden is the photographer. Mm-hmm. And I said to Snowden, I said, Do you do you remember a guy a long time ago named Barney Wan at British Vogue? Of course, he was very influential to me. You want to meet him? Yeah. <laughs> so, next day, this huge Rolls Royce pulls up and it's Barney Wan. He comes in and takes me around London. So, these moments are unforgettable for yeah, me. Yeah. So, that moment when Barney Wan pulls up in a Rolls Royce, I want to create that moment for countless of other kids mm-hmm. and other people. Yeah. And not even kids. Right. Yeah. Not well, even, adults. It adults, yeah, you yeah. know, whether whether it's bringing, you know, Mark to Tom Sachs' studio or mm-hmm. any number of those kinds of things. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But we come from
0: an era where, you know, it was a shame to be Chinese or a minority in, in our schools and coming up, right? We were definitely like um, the undercard constantly. And so now to come to be in an era where like, I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like to be like a 12-year-old growing up as an Asian-American right now, you know, in school. It must be so cool because, like, there's so many heroes besides Bruce Lee, hmm. you know, and Jackie Chan. Like,
1: you don't have to do kung fu, you know? So, like, it, it's, it's a proud moment for sure. To, this reminds me of a sneaker story. Okay. My son, Matt, decides to go to SVA. Mm-hmm. He goes, Mark Parker makes a pair of shoes for him to go to New York. For your son. (laughs) That's amazing. And uh, he still has them. He's stupid. He wore them. He shouldn't have worn them. (laughs) And something in Chinese that said something like good luck or something. Uh I can't remember exactly what it said. Mm. So he has these shoes. And at that time, I can't remember the name of the sneaker store. Very snotty. That could be many sneaker yeah, stores. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all of them, yeah. yeah. Very snotty. And so he is coming in with his SVA students. Mm-hmm. And of course, they check out your shoes yeah. and the da-da-da. And, and then... He, they look uh, at his shoes. His, and then they're like so snotty. And then the girls, one of the girls said, apparently, said, uh, you think you're all that? And he says, well, they're thinking, well, what are those? And mm-hmm. What are those? Mm-hmm. And what are those? And she said to the owner, "Do you ever seen one of these? <laughs> And he didn't. Yeah, you know, of course. Right, a one of one. Yeah. So
0: going back to um, just unearthing sort of creatives around the world, mm-hmm. you meet so many creatives and artists at various points in their career, not right. just the world famous right, ones. Right, right, right. What is something that you always see that you're like, man, this is like one of the biggest mistakes I see creatives make because I think creatives are always on this like journey thinking like. Is each step going to be the pitfall that like sinks them? Mm-hmm. You know that's and there's no manual for a creative to look at right. like an accountant or a lawyer right. would, right? Right. What is uh, in your observation over all these years that you've been working with creatives? What are some of the
1: biggest mistakes you've seen them make? Not taking the chance, and now that that issue is very prominent today with a new generation. Oh yeah because they're so afraid to take a chance Mm -hmm. because it may not look as good as their friend's life on Instagram and and Pinterest and, you know, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fear of failure is an epidemic right now Mm -hmm. amongst creatives. Fear of failure, without all young people, Mm -hmm. but fear of failure is at an epidemic level right now. So it paralyzes them. It paralyzes them. Mm -hmm. So I had a young man, I won't... you would know who this is," uh, he said to me after after two years out of college, exploring different creative options and interning here, dabbling there, and da da da. He says, "I think I got it, John." And I would been trying to mentor him. He said, "I think it's graphic design." I go, "Whoa, mm-hmm. I can help you on that one." Yeah, you know, I, 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 what? Let's come to the studio. Let's talk. What can I do? And it, suddenly, after. Ten minutes of this glow in his face. Sunday got dark again, and he's. But what if I don't like it? Mm-hmm. You're 23. So, so <laughs> <laughs> what are you worried about? Yeah. Now, on the side, mm-hmm. now this may be the problem. He also comes from a very well-known family, mm-hmm. highly creative. With lots of money, yeah, so lots more of pressure, su- yeah. lots of success, right, right? So maybe, maybe that's why, you know. But why? But what if I don't like it? If you don't like it, you quit and you go do something else. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. But if you don't called. try, you don't get anywhere. Nowhere. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I really feel the same. I mean, I think pre-social media, a creative could just sort of experiment and toil away in private and figure it out. But now, if you put up a YouTube clip or if you put up an Instagram post, if it doesn't get Sort of this numerical sign of approval, whether it's number of views, number of likes, number of retweets, whatever it is, then you're deemed as a failure, and it's probably just in your own head, but it is an epidemic that is happening.
1: This fear of failure is enormous mm-hmm. right now. So maybe the this is sacrilegious, but don't post it. Don't yeah. tell people where you're working. Right. Wait a while mm-hmm. until you got something really to say. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Quit putting the icing when there's no cake, you know, know, yet, you know,
0: easier said than done for a young person now, like just to yeah. the dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Social media. But,
1: but, you know, experimenting in your life is, it's it's the most valuable thing you can do. And Mm -hmm. it's, and I'm not done yet. I'm still experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the, the, you know, the, the Pyrex uh, jars are getting bigger and bigger when Mm -hmm. I'm mixing the things, you know, it's, and on a global scale. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I can mix it all over the world. Right. Yeah, that's great advice.
0: This couldn't be more true today. The tools to create are infinite. The outlets and platforms seem to be enormous. The middleman is almost obsolete. We all have the opportunity to create something on our own and instantly get it out into the world. Now, that might seem inspirational for some, but it can be debilitating for others. Putting yourself out there is hard, but taking a chance has more benefit than just sitting back. You can't learn how good or bad you are at something unless you actually get out there and do it. Look at stand-up comedy, for example. Even greats like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, they need to go out to their local clubs to workshop jokes before they see it polished on a large theater. If the joke stayed in the notebook, then there's no chance you'll ever get to hear them on a stage. So go after it. Take a gamble. I mean, you don't have to be John, but he's proof that being authentic, being curious, purposeful, and talented, and most importantly, taking risks will help you on that path to success.
1: Have some belief in yourself. Have some confidence about yourself. That's really hard today. Yeah. Really, really, really hard. And maybe I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Maybe I had no choices, you mm-hmm. know? I have to go for it, because I don't have a lot of choices, you yeah, know? I don't. Yeah. I don't have a lot of fallback here, right, you right. know, to that.
0: You know what I think added to that is not only have belief in yourself, but have belief even if you don't know the answer. Oh, but that's huge. That's, yeah, it's not just about having belief no. in
1: your answer. It's having belief that, like, I don't know the answer, but I'll figure it out. So here's one thing. I got to New York, and I'm from Columbus, Ohio, you know, and... And I notice I'm, I'm working with all these big editors, and not big, but editor. Everyone was big to me back then, yeah. you know. Every, and I go, "Wow, he he puts on his pants one leg at a time, <laughs> and holy smokes, I do too. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're equal. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. That's you had to tell yourself that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but he was a big boss. Mm-hmm. He was the big, you know. He was the whatever, whatever, you know, and. And then I'd also listen in editorial meetings, and these, and I didn't speak for almost a year in these meetings. God knows how I even kept a job. I was too insecure. I didn't know anything, you yeah, know? Right. And I come into New York, and there's very polished and very educated, mm-hmm. you know, people... You know when they're talking about the 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 problems of the Palestinian party, and I go, "There's a party? Where's the party?" You know, and, like, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was just so out of my league, mm-hmm. so intellectually, just so out of my league, mm-hmm. and uh, so I didn't say a lot. And then and there were pitching ideas, and later I moved to a, a ma- to the magazines out of the newspaper world, and then and they're all pitching ideas, and I'm going. God, that was a stupid idea. You know, I would have never said that. And so I'm watching and yeah. listening how people are pitching ideas. I'm going, that was a pretty good idea. That one seemed smart. Mm-hmm. That one was stupid. Yeah. And I'm going, I can't be any worse than right. that guy, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. So I might as well chime in. Well, the important thing is that you stayed in.
0: Because a lot of people might have been like, I don't, I can't hang here. I'm out. Like, you just
1: but the thing stayed is, in the pocket. Some. <laughs> so what did, what did, uh, what did? Whoopi said uh, recently, um, "Sit still, mind your manners." Yeah, start there. Yeah, just start. Just, <laughs> just sit start there. still. Shut <laughs> up. Shut up. Mind, Shut your, up, mind, yeah. mind your manners yep. and just listen. Just listen. Yeah. Just listen. Just yep. l- take it all in. Yeah. And I was such a listener because I can't. Again, I can't stress this enough. But the coming from my background, I worked one summer at Lazarus Department Store, the local department store. Mm-hmm. And there would be a, a couple that came in or one guy just came in and was talking to the buyer or something and they were talking, well, oh, I just returned from New York City on a on something. I would literally stand next to them and fold the clothes really slowly as mm-hmm. if I was working so I could eavesdrop when they're yeah. conversing. Oh my God. <laughs> just soak up something. <laughs> they just came back from Manhattan. They're, they went to a fashion store in New York City mm-hmm. What can I... And so I'm living through these conversations. I'm living through their life, you know? So... So cool. So... Just shut up and listen. (laughs) And I still eavesdrop.
0: I still shut up and listen Mm -hmm. a lot, you know? And I've actually gotten to the point, too, where, like, I actually love that feeling when I walk into a room and I don't know what people are saying. Like,
1: that's when the good stuff happens. Someone said, and it's not me, but if you're the most interesting person at the party, Mm -hmm. it ain't a good party. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Well, thank you, man.
0: I mean, I think uh, I think we covered a lot. We might have to do two or three parts of this, sure. but thank you very much for your
1: time. What we should do is now come to uh, Portland, and we'll do it in Portland, and come to New York, yeah, and do we'll it in New York, it. and so forth. <laughs> All right. All right. Great. Thank you very much.
0: Thank man. you. Thank you again for listening to this amazing two-part episode with the legendary John Jay. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I personally use Anchor FM. They have this great new feature called voice messages, which is weird because voice messages is like this old tech from when people had landline telephones. Anyway. Anchor's voice messages allow you to just leave me and my team a voice recording really easily. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us who you want to see on the show. uh, Ask questions, life questions, business questions, whatever, we're game. Also, please leave us a comment and rating on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think of the show. It really helps out a lot. Also, tell a friend about the show. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. And The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You should check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers-Berry. Our associate producers are Sidney Pecumpera and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded at John Jay's beautiful home in Ebisu, Tokyo, Japan. I am Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.